Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of the World's Greatest Podcast. That's the way the cookie crumbles. Woo, 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 woo. Have we got an absolute shit out of a pod this week for you? Stan's not here yet. As everyone knows who's a regular listener of the Cookie Pod, Stan does work late on Monday, so he'll be joining us a little bit later on. But first of all, we've got Jim here. Just me and Jim this week, as of now. Hello, Cook. Hello, all the listeners. Yep, Stan will be here. But, I mean, you're in great company with just me and Louis. So, I mean, don't get greedy. That's what I will say. Exactly. Don't get greedy. Yeah, and we'll kick off here. The weekend's games, they weren't as action-packed as they have been. Um throughout the season, but there's been some shock results, Cook, and we'll, we'll talk about them. Uh, the first shock being at St. Mary's were top of the league, Everton, travelled to Saints. Um, they thought it was going to be without Hammers. He started, but that didn't change the result. Um, what can you tell us about this one? I thought it was it was very shithousy from Carlo, mainly towards myself, given that I have fantasy football requirements to fill with Hammers, who made my bench this week. But, he, he didn't really do much, like you said. He didn't really affect the outcome of the game. But Southampton were great, great value for money in this game. They were two to one at home. I said to Dunny, friend of the pod, that that is a great price for Southampton. And this was prior knowledge of Hamez isn't playing and Richarlison isn't playing. But Saints just picked up where they left off against Chelsea. Like I said on last week's episode, they showed great character to come back twice against us and get a draw away from home. Hassan Hutel sets his team up ever so well in that 4-4-2 with Ings pulling left and him and Shay Adams have they've got a nice little relationship together now and I did we did a joke around prior to the pod about our research and stats and I actually did some digging on Shay Adams and his name is Shay Everton Adams which is quite coincidental given he scored against the Toffees yesterday but he, him and Danny Ings look good together really good understanding of one another Ings setting two goals up, not on the score sheet, but Everton were poor in this one. I mean, it was the anniversary of the 9-0 Leicester away defeat for Southampton. And, well, Hassan Huttles planted his flag in that one and said, not happening this time, lads. Yeah, certainly a better result. Um, you mentioned, though, if Hammers being your fantasy um, player and Ancelotti mugging you off a bit. Well, I got mugged off because I had Luca Digne. Um, was it a red card for you? See, this is such a weird one because people people are saying you can't chase the ball down now. I mean, with replays, it, and I'm trying to not sit on the fence with this. I am going to give an answer at the end, but with replays, it does look worse. Like if if you see Luca Digne, it, his studs are on his ankle for an uncomfortable amount of time, and like I said, the slow mo doesn't help that. But I I I don't think it's a red, and that could be seen as controversial because Digne. I'm not 100% if he's on a card or not, but his hands are up as he's as he's chasing him to show to the ref, look, I'm not I'm not wanting to get booked here. Look, I don't want to foul him. I don't want to even touch him. And his head's up. He's not even looking down. So I do think it's an accident, but by the letter of the law, it's endangering an opponent and is a red card. But I think that there maybe has to be some common sense applied there to say that he's not even looking at his feet. Yeah, well, they got away with a red card, didn't they, last week? So, I mean, they get this one. It's only, it's only, it balances itself out. That's how the Premier League works. That's how referees work. But, yeah, um, Everton, who were unbeaten, now beaten. And there was another team that was um, unbeaten and now beaten. And now I'm going to talk about them now. It's Aston Villa, which means uh, very early on in the season, Arsenal's invincible record. The only thing they seem to care about nowadays, that's already protected. So, 
they can sit happily for the rest of the season. Um, Leeds 3-0 winners um, against Villa. Patrick Bamford, of all people, scoring a hat-trick. It's, to my me, when I look at... Yeah, well, I mean, he's the only one doing for my fantasy. Um, just looking at Patrick Bamford as a striker, though, he really shouldn't... He shouldn't be a Premier League striker. He's He's slow. He's not particularly skillful. He's weak. He's not good in the air. He's not clinical. Bloody hell. But but here we go. Like he's what he's how many goals in like five goals this season? Six. Six, six and six. Yeah. And the, especially the second two, his second and his third goal against Villa, he took them so well. Yeah, lad. The, the, I think it was the third one, especially, where he's he's showing really, really quick, good feet on the edge of the box. And he just almost stepped round he steps rounds it and sorry, he steps round it and opens his body up and puts it in the top corner, but it's some finish given where he was on the pitch. And I'm eating words super big because I did say he wouldn't get seven league goals and he's he's got thirty two games to get one. So best well, luck he, to you, Paddy. Well, he's, a, he's applying for top score already. I mean, um he, for me he was a player that he knows the tactics and I like them kind of players in fairness and he seems to be a lad who's always in the right place at the right time, but the second and the third one, like I just mentioned, they just disproved that. Um, both stand on his back leg, um, and he just somehow picks out the top corner in both of them. I mean, Leeds have started the season really well. The fifth, uh, Bielsa ball, as they call it, seems to be working. I mean, I do like how a team like Leeds have come up and they keep their own style. We've seen Norwich do it last season, it didn't work, but Leeds' style was obviously suited the Premier League and they've dominated games they've already played Liverpool and City and they they had more possession than both Liverpool and City they have the most possession at Anfield since Klopp went there um, they dominated Villa 60% possession they dominated Wolves the other week even though they got beat they still created the chances but they'll come with the quality they'll get every window now because players will look at Leeds and look at Bielsa and it's an exciting project um, yeah, so I just yeah. think they're, in, they're, just, they're just in great stead really um, so fair play to him yeah you've got to mention as well with Leeds as well they they had a couple of uh, positional crises for this one obviously Calvin Phillips is one of their main players he's out for a couple of months they had to put in uh, they had to replace him sorry and obviously their fullback Luke Aylin as well they've had a bit of a centre-back crisis so he had to slot in at centre-back obviously he does play full-back usually and Alioski who's a winger was playing left-back for this game so the left side was two left-wingers in Alioski and Jack Harrison and they'd be probably the most on-form team in the league, Villa, away, very convincingly as well. I mean, I did watch this game. Leeds played very well. And it looks like week by week that Bielsa and his players are slowly settling into the Prem and hoping with the pressure. Yeah, the system seems to be winning them games. Um, I was looking at them before. The the fourth in shots per game, the third in shots on target per game, only City, United, City and Le- Liverpool, sorry. I'm used to saying City United back in 2012 days. Um, City and Liverpool are the only teams to have more possession than um, Leeds so I mean and you look at the squad the most of it is still from the championship they've not added too many um, other players it's not like a Wolves situation where the team's completely different now um, so yeah uh, fair play to Leeds good win for them um, and a good win for Leicester Stan's just joined us he's on this one um, um, yeah yeah um, yeah yeah I- I'm late every week because uh, I get asked to put the bins out as soon as we're about to start. So, yeah, that, that's that's why I'm late every week. But I'm here now. The bins are out. Um, so, yeah, we'll go straight into Arsenal-Leicester. 
Um, another big game loss for Arsenal. They've played six games so far uh, in the league this season. Uh, and the three losses they've had are obviously 1-0 to Leicester, 3-1 to Liverpool and uh, 1-0 to City, which for me begs a few questions about Arteta's tactics. I know that, you know, they've been a bit apprehensive of questioning him, although I have said a few times if he was called Michael Atherton, we'd have no no uh, qualms with, with questioning his tactics. But with him being Spanish, there's... Nobody really wants to step on it, Cook. Um, but like I say, uh, six games, the three losses they have are City, uh, Liverpool and Leicester. The three wins they have are Sheffield, West Ham and Fulham. Um, what do you think about that, Cook? Do you think tactics are to, to, you know, are to blame? Because for me, where the coaches earn the salary are in these, you know, these chess-like affairs in the big games where you've got to get your tactics spot on and be adaptable during the game. Do you think Arteta's doing that? Because the results would say otherwise. No, I don't think he is. I think he's he's got his players that he trusts, it would seem, and he doesn't really move rotational-wise. He knows who he can, like I said, he knows who he can trust. Um, he's brought Tierney into the side, who has made Arsenal look better. But let's be honest, you're not going to win. You're not going to win anything playing David Luiz there at the back. If you aspire to break that top four or even get closer, you can't have players like that. And... They've added Thomas Partey, who I was obviously was on about it before off mic, saying that he did have a really good game and he looks like a good signing for Arsenal. But for me, to get the best out of this Arsenal team and compete with the big boys, you need to stop playing a bunny and wide, playing through the middle, get someone else playing wide and get you, the guy who's going to get you the goals where he needs to be in the penalty box. Because like you said, these chess-like games, obviously Chelsea United drew 0-0, but if Chelsea finish above Arsenal by a point, everyone will be like, oh, remember that at Old Trafford? And that's just as simple as it is, really. Like you said, chess matches, but Arteta's yeah. not very good at chess. Yeah, so talking about Aubameyang as well, he's not actually scored in five games, which has been a bit of a hoo-ha on Twitter. Not that big of a drought, um, but I think the real reason that they're talking about it is obviously that he hasn't scored since he signed uh, his new bumper contract. But it was Jamie Vardy who scored Cook, super stub. Uh, from a diving header when I thought it was a lovely move from Leicester. Very direct. Very direct ball over the top by uh, Tielemans and under. Yeah, chipping it up for Vardy to score a diving header. Um, I thought he fucked it up, to be fair, the cross. I thought the pass was class, but I thought under's going to put this up here. Yeah. And it did look like it was a bit far in front of Vardy, but obviously Vardy's Vardy. He ain't missing that. Absolute ruthless. Yeah, and as it no. said on his shit pads, chat shit, get banged. Well, there you go. No, it was on under's right foot and I'm sure Jim will uh, confirm, but I do think he is left-footed so not his uh, not his preferred foot but you know it was good enough in the end and they all count but yeah just going back to Arsenal um, you know they did well in the FA Cup last season as you two will vouch for beating City in the semis and Chelsea in the final I think a few people thought that Arteta might have got rid of that weak Arsenal mentality I think some could say especially in the big games or when the going gets tough Jim, do you think that mentality might be reappearing? Arsenal may be returning to the mean with, like I say, some of the results so far this season. Or do you think, you know, it is a process for Arteta and we shouldn't be jumping on him this early? Um, it's a tough one at Arsenal. I mean, he is trying to change the culture um, and it's so hard to do. That coach has been there for for the back end of Wenger's reign. Um, and not even Wenger. He was a great one of the Premier League's greats from getting rid of it. I personally think Arteta, you've got to give him a bit more time. Um, I, I like giving mine just time. I don't like jumping on him too much. And I think he has shown glimpses of a manager that can do things. And he has changed the culture a little bit. But I definitely can see where you're coming from because when they 
when they get going, we start thinking about, oh, Arsenal, can they can really put a top four um, challenge together this season? And then they play these big games this season and they just look like the same old selves. Um, they've been weak for years, haven't they? Um, I'm sure Thomas Partey is a big... The big reason for signing him was to be a bit more strong and stop being as soft in these big games. But so far, um, it's not really changed yeah. anything. It will take time for the culture to be reset. I mean, especially when a culture like that has been in place for so long, because it was even in Arsene Wenger's final years, if you got at Arsenal, you could beat them. That's how the lesser teams, they had so many games where, you know, there were maybe shocks because, you know, lesser teams would just go at them and they'd outfight them. And, you know, hard work beats talent. If talent doesn't work hard, Cook. It does, but... Speaking of talent that doesn't work hard, Stan, it does link into the question I'm about to ask you. Mesut Ozil has uh, got a new job as Arsenal's Twitter administrator now. He live tweets every single game asking fans for predictors and hashtagging with Yagunas Ya. Yeah. So I know. I know. What, what, what's going on about this? Because obviously he's earning the big bucks and it's yes. no secret. It's, it's the worst kept secret in football that they've not tried to... Well, sorry, they have tried to offload him. But... Surely, if you can't offload him, you'd rather him be knocking about because it's Ozil. Like, you, I, I still think there's a player in Mesut Ozil. Call me, call me uh, a skeptic, but I do think there's still a player there, and I still think he can do something for Arsenal. Yeah, probably. I mean, obviously, Arteta doesn't like him, and I you know a fair play to Arteta for you know doing this. He's, he's a big character, he's a big name, and he's on a lot of money. So, I think it takes balls from the manager that if he's obviously told the player he doesn't want him, um, and he hasn't gone which tends to be nowadays, as we know, the player's decision because they have all the power. Really, if, Urs, if Arsenal said, look, you need to go, and Ozil's not willing to take a pay cut or whatever, because there will be clubs after him, like you say. He's definitely got something to offer. Maybe he could go yeah. back to Germany or, you know, there's, there's probably a lot of clubs. Well, yeah, things like that. Maybe he might have to take a year out there to come back into Europe. I don't know. So for me, it does lie with Ozil um, and... I know Lineker came out saying nobody doesn't want to play, you know, every football player wants to play football. Nobody wants to be left out. But how long has it been since we've seen Ozil be Ozil? He seems to have been, you know, on the fringes of that Arsenal squad forever. And it's not really that big of a shot that he was left out of it in the end. Yeah, Jim, like, like I was just saying, then he's not even been put in the 25-man Prem squad. He's not in the Europa League squad. It does seem like it's the end of the line for Ozil. But like I said before, I think there's a player in there. That's the football manager in me. That's me trying yep. to take Ravel Morrison for Ostersons in my second year, hoping he'll spear <laughs> me to a title. Well, I mean, if I was on football manager, the first thing I'd be doing is releasing Ozil. He's on, <laughs> he's on what? He's the highest paid player and he's not he's not on the pitch. What's the point? I mean, you don't pay 300 and odd grand a week for someone to be on Twitter, do you? It's, it's ridiculous. It's, and that's something out of Arteta's control. Um, and like Sam mentioned before, Bermian's um, form since his contract has been signed has conveniently declined. That's, that's good, isn't it? I mean, I'm I'm not going to accuse him of downing his tools ever since um, getting his getting the bag, as people would say. But I mean, he's, he's not doing what he should be doing for 300 grand a week. Um, another player, the highest transfer record for Arsenal, um, wasn't an asset signing. Pepe has been awful. It's time to move on. It, yeah, it is. Yeah. He, he's, he's, he's just sure. crap. He isn't it's, good at. It says a lot when, you know, you're bringing in a, is it 32, 33-year-old William from Chelsea and he's straight in his starting 11 over a £72 million signing. It's not... Well, well exactly. On, on paper, if you have a front three and two of them are on 300 grand a week and one of them you, sp- you spend £75 million on, that should be that should be a world-class front three. 
Yeah, and it's not. It's not. They, they're not even playing together, let alone if they did play together, they'd be a disaster. Yeah, well, just sorry, just moving back to uh, to the Foxes. Uh, Leicester needed the win, actually. They've come off uh, back-to-back losses in the league, both at home to uh, West Ham and Villa. So it was very much needed, and especially very much needed away at Arsenal, uh, as it was their first win away at Arsenal since 1973. But yeah, Ultimately, it carried on the trend of, of, you know, this weekend's games being a little bit cautious and, and obviously low scoring. Um, maybe linked to, you know, teams wanting to solidify a little bit. Obviously, we're not going to go too much into it, but United and Chelsea absolutely reeked of that. Um, but no, I personally, you know, I know it's been a high scoring few weeks, but I prefer the uh, 7-2s and the 5-2s, but not so much the 6-1s. Yeah, well, I, I've, I've give the um, I've give the cookie pod boys some homework this week. Um, I've seen a tweet before asking if Raul Jimenez is in the top five strikes in the league. He scored on the weekend, a wonderful goal. Um, he's been scoring for seasons now. So I'll pass it on to Stan and Cook. Have you done your yeah. homework? Well, I've, I've, I wouldn't say it's homework. I, I kind of jotted down five strikers that I think are the best five in the league. And yes, the Mexican is definitely in there. Um, the Mexican's in there. Was very happy when he was linked to United in the summer. Um, thought he would have been perfect for us. Um, you know, his hold-up play is brilliant. I mean, it's a bit mad, really, because he went to Atletico Madrid and Benfica, and he flopped really, and he came over to Wolves, um, and you know he's absolutely smashed it. So yeah, one of the most complete strikers in the world, really, for me. Um, and like like we've said many a time on this part, I think all of the top six would have him in the squad, if not, you know, pushing for a starting place. So definitely in my uh, top five, uh, I'll just run quickly through them. Uh, number one for me has got to be Harry Kane. Uh, I've said it for quite a while now that I do think he is the best uh, striker in the world. And, you know, he's, he's all round game, not only his number nine play, you know, scoring all the kinds of goals that you'd want a striker to score. His link up play as well as develops massively over the years. Second has got to be that man, Sergio Aguero. I do think he's the closest to Harry Kane. Um, and obviously he's not done too much so far this season, but I can't have a top five strikers in the league without uh, Kun being in there. Third, I've actually gone with Aubameyang, who I know we have spoken, hasn't scored in the last five games, but I think scoring was it back-to-back seasons, 22 league goals for Arsenal, pretty much being Arsenal's main source of of goals for you know pretty much since he's been there again. Got to be in the top five. Him and Ezzy's fourth for me. And um, fifth, just sneaking in, just pipping in uh, at six, uh, fifth, sorry, is uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin for me, just because of the start he's had. Uh, very well round striker again, similar to Jimenez, but does, you know, a perfect job for that Everton system and for Ancelotti. So, yeah, there we go. There we go. Four, so fourth um, is the answer for Stan Cook. Jimenez, Lost. does he make your top five? Yeah, he, he makes my top five, but I, I didn't really know what we was going off here. I didn't know if he was going off players to be, I didn't know if he was going to say players all round, how how good are they are, are players on form. So I've, I've I've well, done... we'll let you set your own promises now. You, you, you choose, lay out your own you promises choose. and then we'll go off that. All right, I've, I've gotten... All right, I'll go for five strikers that I think are going to be the, be the best five this year then. Okay, there you go. Okay. So, so I'll go Kane. I'll copy Stan and go Kane for number one because I think he's the best striker in the world at the moment. He's the most definitely the most complete forward in the world. Now he's dropping into that register position and taking up the old L Beckham Jr. role. But yeah, number one, Harry Kane for sure. Number two, very similar to Stan Aguero. I think other than Thierry Henry, he's definitely been the best striker I've ever seen in the Premier League. Very unfortunate Wayne Rooney there. 
because I'm a huge fan. But Aguero for me is is definitely the best striker I've seen that's uh, that I can really remember, other than Henri. So number three, I'm I'm not going to pick a Bamian. I'm going to go for Timo time because he scored twice this year. I think he will eventually get to play through the middle. And I think he'll he'll get a reasonable amount of league goals this year. I think the the one game he has played up front, uh, sorry, uh, one of two games that he has played up front, the rest he's been playing wide left. He scored in, so I'm not too worried about Werner. And I think, like I said, he'll he'll be he'll get a respectable amount of goals this year. Number four, Raúl, like I said, ever so consistent, but a few of his toys have been taken away this year. Obviously, Diogo Jota going to Liverpool. The big loss, the amount of goals he brings to Wolves and the amount of assists that he brings to him as well. You can't deny that that's not going to be a massive hole to fill. And as I was watching him yesterday play Newcastle, Neto and Pedence are just not good enough. They're just not good enough service-wise and they're not good enough to score. So, Raul, I am a big, big fan and he should be playing at a team bigger than Wolves, but you're number four on this one. And then number five, if they're playing through the middle, I didn't know if I could count Rashford or not. This is a big one. Can I count Rashford? Yes or no? I, I count Rashford. I, I think I'd count Rashford as a striker. Just. What do you reckon, Sam? Yeah, no? No, I mean, I did ask. If, if Salah's not a striker, Marcus, Dr. MBE is definitely not I a striker. I suppose, yeah. All right, then. Number five, Aubameyang. Mainly because I think he'll play wide a lot. And, yeah, we know he can score goals from there. His form's not been great at the start. Arteta keeps trying this weird Lacazette, Eddie and Ketia experiment that I really just don't understand. Just play your best player through the middle who score your goals and find another solution out wide. Play Saka out wide. But yeah, yeah. that's my top five. In order, um, Harry Kane, Aguero, Timo Time, Jimenez and Aubameyang. Very nice. I mean, he's making two top fives there, but he doesn't make mine, unfortunately. It's not a clean sweep for Raul. Um, it, it is a clean sweep for Kane and Aguero at one and two. I mean, we've all, we've all, I think that might have been the easiest one. Asked me a few years ago and I'd have gone with Aguero, but his biscuit knees are failing him, unfortunately. So I can't put him no. at number one now. I empathise with you, Tom. Uh, <laughs> number three, I've gone for, and I'm surprised he didn't left out so much. We did talk about him. He scored the winning goal against Arsenal, Jamie Vardy. I just think in a top team, he scores 40. Oh, He's yeah, just I forgot about him. An, an incredible striker, I mean. Yeah. yeah. Under looks, he's got 20 plus for so many years now I can't remember the exact start but yeah Jamie Violet number three um, number four I've gone for another one that's not made another top five I've gone for Bobby Firmino I mean I know he doesn't score goals and that's what strikers should do but I think I think he just does so much more in the game and I'm just a big fan of him um, I think there's more to a striker than scoring goals it's kind of a yeah. I, I rate Jesus very highly and he's not exactly the most clinical um, so yeah Firmino at number four for me and number five it was a toss up between Jimenez and this lad but I have just put a Bemiang in there I think he's I think he's probably got he just proved himself I think a bit more than um, Jimenez has and especially at big teams too whereas Jimenez not so much when he was at Madrid let's go Madrid but yeah it was very close between them two so yeah just misses out as number six for me Jimenez so there we go. There we go. So Aubameyang, Kane, and Aguero were in all of our top fives. I think a lot of people would agree with that. So yeah, yeah there we Vardy go. only in one of them. Surprisingly, he was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was on. He was on. I just went for DCL over him just because he's a flavour of the month, and I'm liking him at the moment. So there we go. 
yeah. Catch it, get banged. So, if you've not been living under a rock for the past week or so, you will know that Dr. Marcus Rashford, MBE, has been doing some pretty important work, um, you know, just, just socially for everybody all over Twitter, um, really fighting, you know, for get, getting kids food. I think we can all agree that that's a pretty important thing to be fighting for, unless, you know, mm. you are one of the 300-odd Tories that voted against uh, giving uh, school children meals throughout the uh, half-term holidays and throughout the Christmas holidays. Uh, yeah, that was voted against. We do have, you know, a government that would do that to our own school, school children. But nevertheless, Marcus Rashford didn't let it hurt him. Took to Twitter. And not only did he take to Twitter, a lot of other people took to Twitter. A lot of other businesses, a lot of other, you know, pubs, uh, bars, restaurants, cafes, anything like that, anything that, you know, you know, could could lend a hand, pretty much did lend a hand all across the United Kingdom. And Marcus Rashford made it his aim to get these names out and of, of you know places all over Twitter. And if you go on Marcus Rashford's Twitter feed, it is just absolutely littered with you know different places, screenshots of different places offering food to people, offering food to children, offering you know cups of teas to the parents. Absolutely everything like that, an absolute brilliant show, especially in the current, uh, you know, climate that we're living in where it is these establishments that are, you know, heavily affected by, you know, the closures over the last six, seven months. Uh, they are coming forward when we need them to really and, and, you know, feeding and helping the most vulnerable in our society. So spearheaded by Marcus Rashford, but obviously a lot of credit to all those other companies that have, you know, supported, a lot of football clubs have supported um, I know that Co-op have offered a lot of vouchers and, you know, United, Liverpool and a few other clubs have come forward pledging meals, pledging, you know, money uh, and just pledging support really to, you know, the whole effort to, you know, feed our children, which sounds absolutely mental to me to be saying that we've got to sort it ourselves almost. It shouldn't be something that, you know, we have to worry about. It should just be done if you get me but unfortunately that isn't the world that we live in and that isn't the uh the government that we currently have so yeah it, it's easy to forget that the government haven't lifted a finger while Rashford is doing all this hard work in between playing Premier League and Champions League matches mm. um and it's just mental that like you did start off with um, jokingly but feeding starving children has genuinely been a divisive issue in this country <laughs> and that is just a sentence that no one should be saying no it shouldn't definitely mean it's not it's not a political issue it's, it's not and a lot of people have been saying that labor have been saying that in the uh, in you know in the house and basically the tories one of the main reasons was well if you didn't call the scum we might have voted for it so that is the type of people that rashford is trying to deal with you know when getting things like this passed through so it's not a surprise and it was voted against um but like you say it is honorable and it's fucking brilliant as a country that we have decided to come together and do this much but it's not something that we should be doing everybody you know without going too political into this but you know a lot of people pay our taxes and for me our taxes are being paid for the wrong things the mps have all agreed to a three thousand pound pay rise but they've pretty much all voted against feeding starving children throughout the holidays when the schools are shut. Yeah, I, th uh, I think any sane taxpayer can be happy knowing that their money is going to feeding starving children. I think that is a, a cause worthwhile of paying your taxes. And um, Rashford's work, his dedication to feeding these hungry kids who through no fault of their own have to go hungry some nights. Um, 
it, it educates people, it's inspirational, and I think it shows the power of people when the backs against the wall. But also, cut it shows the power of social media. I mean, it get it's in a bad light sometimes social media, but it's through Twitter mainly what Rashford's doing. Do you think this is something that, like I say, is um, been harnessed through social media? And without social media, maybe Rashford couldn't have gathered so much attention. Yeah, for a, <clears throat> for a fact, Marcus Rashford, this would not have got nearly as much traction as it has if social media wasn't as big as it is. It's as simple as that. It, it's been used many a time for very much inappropriate use. For example, Wilfred Zaha receiving racist tweets and messages off that 12-year-old boy who was later arrested. But the less we talk about that scumbag, the better. But just using it as an example, but... Rashford's obviously using social media in a in a very positive way to spread change because stuff like this shouldn't really be subjective. It should be black and white. Kids should be fed. Simple as that. And I credit to him. I mean, you can you can fucking hate Man United all day long. I do, but you cannot take this away from that lad that he is single-handedly without without patronising him. Because I don't really want it to come across like that. He, he has captured a nation's heart in terms of everyone's coming together, showing a bit of camaraderie. And it's even nice yeah. to see on uh, our local high street that the Ridling Rats getting involved. So very nice. Sorry, yeah, I'm going hey, It is, yeah. But again, just, just as much as it's not about politics, it's definitely not about football. Uh, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of... The best thing is, I remember a lot of people have brought this up as well, is do you remember in, uh, when this, all this stuff kind of kicked off, the COVID stuff, and the government came out and made the footballers escape notes and said they needed to do more. Uh, and now... I bet Marcus Rashford is the biggest pain in the arse of that Tory government that they've probably got at the moment, uh, you know, doing exactly what he's doing. Uh, he got them extended a few months ago throughout the summer holidays. Um, they give him an MBA probably to be like, go on. And now he's just, you know, straight back. Yeah, Absolutely no, yeah but no they thought he disappeared, didn't they? They, they thought... Oh, 100%. They, they 100%. thought, ext- extend the free school meals, give him yeah. the MBA, yeah. give him a little bit yeah. of clap, back, back at newspapers, and he'll, he'll yeah. disappear. And that's why I love the most about Rashford, that yeah. he's, just, he's just carried on. It's because yeah. he's lived through it, though. That's why it is. It's simply because he's lived through it. Obviously, mm-hmm. he's, he's not ashamed on speaking about it. He went hungry some nights, and he basically just said that no ever, no kid should ever experience that. And I, yeah. I, can't, I can't thank Marcus Rashford enough. Like mm-hmm. I said, I don't want it to sound like I'm patronising him, because I am really not. Yeah. It's really good to see. Well, football's 100% a working-class sport, and that can be forgotten about a lot of the time. And again... Obviously, you see them in the Bugattis and in the, you know, two million pound houses. But I'd make a guess that, you know, the majority of high high level footballers or professional footballers have come from, you know, poverty, backgrounds of poverty. You talk about Rashford. I remember Carlos Tevez uh, pretty much lived in a, in a home in Buenos Aires, which was one room with multiple family members. Rooney grew up on a council estate. You know, Ronaldo's house got demolished in, in Funcali Madeira because people were going to look at it and the government was so embarrassed that they actually demolished it because they were so embarrassed that somebody had actually lived in what was essentially a mud hut with a corrugated tin roof. So these players know exactly what it's like. Um, they know exactly what it's like to come from that background. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just good that, you know, they haven't, they haven't given up. And again, I mean, a shout out to Raheem Sterling, who I saw is, you know, pushing a few projects to... To give chances to disadvantaged uh, young people, so footballers are stepping up. They're stepping up as a community, and they're stepping up led by Marcus Rashford. And um, 
yeah, it's, it's just really good to see. Um, I don't want Marcus really to take all the plaudits. And I'm sure he'd be like that himself because, as Jim said, it's just great to see the whole country coming forward to do what is, for me, essentially, you know, it shouldn't be a decision. Yeah, no, but, but we needed fair. this poster boy, I think. We needed someone like Rashford because he has, like Lou said, he's gone through it and yeah. he's the epitome of the potential of what these young, disadvantaged kids can be. They're not just... I think the government sometimes, well, not sometimes, all the time, is help keep the rich rich, keep the poor poor. And yeah. this is what happens when Rashford is a one in a million, but that shouldn't be the case. He shouldn't be... Um, a, a miracle almost of even yeah. becoming a footballer from where he grew up that they no, should all have their chance it's Thingy's from here I think he's from w- Withenshaw is it Stan but yeah he's uh, from Withenshaw yeah yeah yeah. but I, I, I used to work in Withenshaw and it's, it is a very deprived area in Manchester yeah. it's essentially it's essentially a council state isn't it really the whole it is, place it is, is and it, is, it suffers from a severe lack of funding uh, Withenshaw as a, as a place but the thing with Marcus Rashford obviously we could talk about this all day but just last thing on Rashford, I think it's, uh, and this is from someone who doesn't support Man United, this, to me, makes it even more better, the fact that he does play for Man United, because speaking for the majority of football fans, they fucking hate him. And the fact that some people would literally in the past be, fuck that, he plays for Man United, I couldn't give a fuck what he's doing. But everyone has literally put it aside and looked at the big picture and said, I can not give a fuck who he plays for. It doesn't yeah, matter. No. He's doing think, something very yeah. good for people who are very deprived. I think I think it was Andy Robertson who said it, and I, I think he's probably going to end up being right, and I think he will be the first Manchester United player to get a standing ovation at Anfield. I think he will. And I think we'll see that when fans go back into the ground, that pretty much so. every ground in the country will give him a standing ovation when his name's read out, and, you know, rightly so. Yeah, quite the opposite of when the England players didn't qualify for Euro 2008, and every England player got booed at every ground. <laughs> <laughs> Sterling's still feeling the effects of that one, unfortunately. Welcome back, listeners. I know I've been letting you down with the better of the week lately. I know that more than anyone. But if you did follow us on our Insta, at Podcast one you'll have seen me and Jonesy did actually put an outsider on there that was just let down in the end, uh, returning just under £700. But I'll make it up to you this week. So, starting off, we have... Liverpool versus West Ham. Both teams to score a result, Liverpool. Secondly, I have Chelsea to beat Burnley at home to nil. And last but not least, I've gone for Portsmouth to beat Charlton at home because the early kickoff, I know some people don't like backing it in the Prem. There's only three games this week in the Prem and one of them was the early kickoff. So for all you superstitious lot, you can thank me later. So just to recap, Liverpool, both teams score result, Chelsea to nil and Portsmouth at home. And Stan, if anyone's got any sense, what can we do with that? You can shove it up your hackers. Okay, welcome back, Cookie Pod listeners. Back to your favourite part of the show, favourite segment. It's Who Am I? And everyone can join in at home if they so wish to. Um, so play number one and clean number one, getting right into it, is... I have played for, and not including loan spells, the teams that I have actually played for. Okay. Teams in Greater Manchester, Staffordshire, <laughs> Lancashire, and Tyne and Were. So, you need a bit of geography for you. You know actually, what? No. <sighs> Say them I'm again. Gonna, I'm going to go Great. West Brom. Have you, have, you, have, you got, have you got these off um, Pez, by the way? Uh, yeah, Pez. 
<laughs> Man Red, Lancashire uh, Blue, Greater Manchester, Staffordshire, Lancashire, and Tan were. And I can confirm it wasn't Wes Brown, but good game. Oh, not okay. Greater Manchester, Staffordshire, Lancashire, and Tan and were. Fucking hell. Um, oh, Weir. David Weir. Uh, Danny Whitehead. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Danny Whitehead, no. Um, clue yeah, number it. two might narrow it down a bit. I have 13 appearances for Scotland. Phil Bardsley? It's Phil Bardsley. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. We didn't even get to the good clues, which Fucking is... Oh. We didn't even get to the good stuff, which is leaving Di Canio furious after he's pictured drunk lying on a casino floor in a pile of £50 notes. Class. <laughs> and also being married to reality TV show star of Tan- Housewives of Cheshire, Tanya. Yeah. Tanya Barbara. Well. And then obviously Barry. number fifth. <laughs> and obviously number, number five was knocking out Wayne Rooney one punch in a kitchen. Class. I mean, that's cut just... Cut when I got that as soon as Tanya came up anyway. Actually, yeah, would have because everyone who knows me knows I am a fan of the Real Housewives of Cheshire. Anders Lindegaard's <laughs> wife was on there as well. Ben wow. Well what a selection United of United things. legends that we have. There's been many the good wags. people in there. Even Leanne Brown, Wes Brown's missus made an appearance. It's one of them. Fuck <laughs> you now, we're making a great back four. <laughs> anyway, let's see if you can round off for this player. Player number two. Player number two and clue number one for this player yeah. is... My current kit number is the same number as my current age. Fucking hell. Um, Doesn't give much away, I'll be honest. Okay. um, Liam (laughs) Rossini. I don't think he has a kit number. (laughs) 69? (laughs) Uh, Alberto Aquilani. It's not Alberto Aquilani, enough. That'd have been amazing if he got that first one, I'll be honest. Um, So far this season, I have made three appearances for Real Madrid. Ooh. Three. Uh, Vinicius Junior? It's not Vinicius Junior. Three appearances. Oh, fuck. Uh, I think I might know where it is. You know where it is? Uh, I think it's Rodrigo. It's not Rodrigo, which leads me on to clue number three, which is I am the youngest player to represent my nation Martin at Odegaard. 15 and 250 days. And Cookie's right there with Martin Odegaard. Yeah. Fucking Bardsley and Odegaard. Bardsley <laughs> <laughs> and Odegaard. As soon as I, I knew it wasn't uh, Yonmon, Vinicius or Rodrigo, I knew it'd be someone like him because he's had two successful loan spells now, and I did see recently that he is recently back as a Madrista. What yeah. number is he? He's twenty-one. Twenty-one. Right there we go. He is twenty-one. He's still twenty-one. Uh, he's one of them players that I've been on for ages. But yeah, yeah, I thought I thought you might forget about him because he's kind of like a we knew about when he was fifteen I did six to years be, ago. I did to be fair when he said Vinicius, I thought of another young person, and it was Rodrigo. So I did. I won't lie. Not, you got was me it there. Freddie Adu, son? Was it not him? From many um, <laughs> No, it was um, that Lazio midfielder. What was he called? He was about 43. 
apparently supposed to be 18. <laughs> because oh, actually, yeah. I know what you mean. I don't know what you're saying. Uh, Anybody knows, let us know. It's that time of the week. It's the time where we have to say goodbye from everyone at That's The Way The Cookie Crumbles. Thank you very much for listening. And if we've not quite tickled or ticked your fetish box for the Cookie Boys, you can follow us on at Cookie Podcast One. That's at Cookie Podcast, followed by the number one on Twitter and Instagram. We're now available on Spotify, YouTube and Apple Podcast, as well as Acast. Just search in That's The Way The Cookie Crumbles. That's been episode 82 I've been your host, Cook, and that's the way the cookie crumbles. Sibith.